From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And you know, if it seems like the story of the funding formula bill changed on almost a daily basis this week, that's because it kind of did. I mean, we, we have been chasing this thing all week and it has been a wild ride. It has, and that wild ride started first thing uh, Monday, but yeah, as you mentioned, things changed daily, sometimes even hourly at the legislative session. Um, Let's just go recap through it, because we've had a couple of bills introduced, one bill die already, but let's start off where we started off bright and early, 8 a.m. Monday morning. Right, so you had two committees looking at the the issue in decidedly different ways. So uh, on the Senate side, the State Affairs Committee, without a whole lot of discussion and without any you know, real debate of any kind, printed a version of a funding formula bill. Now, why is Senate State Affairs involved? Well, a little civics lesson. Because the Senate Education Committee cannot introduce bills this late in the legislative session, they had to go to Senate State Affairs, which is a privileged committee, and, and to get a print on the bill. And that's what happened Monday morning on the Senate side. Very perfunctory process. Very different process unfolding in the House Education Committee. We were both there. Uh, Chairman Lance Clow and Vice Chairman Ryan Kirby were presenting the House's version of a funding formula bill. And it didn't even get printed by the committee. The committee voted eight to seven to, to kill the bill. And that was really unusual and a surprise, and, and let's get into that. But, you know, I didn't see that coming necessarily, and, and we'll talk about why that's so unusual. But uh, Chairman Clow, Vice Chairman Kirby, had been working with education groups. You hear them called stakeholders sometimes, uh, working with members of both parties, Republicans and Democrats, uh, kind of behind the scenes over the last three weeks, month or so, uh, to gain feedback from these education groups uh, kind of about what their priorities were, what they liked about the funding formula proposal that came out of the interim committee, what they had concerns about, what they would rather do. They had a number of these meetings behind the scenes. That was all kind of marshaled together uh, in the House bill, which is very similar. It's more similar than dissimilar to the competing yes. Senate bills. And, and that's also why this was so surprising. Um, but I think it... it I, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I'm just trying to provide context. I think it was shocking that House Education went against their chair and vice chair and killed the bill, basically refused to even have it introduced. You just don't see that. It does happen. It's not without precedent. But we've talked about these introductory hearings, and they're often just um, a courtesy. It's often just... Uh, the first step to introducing a bill, getting it out there in the public so the public can see it. Sometimes bills are killed at introductory hearings. The preschool bill was an example Mm -hmm. of that this year. But it's even more rare and surprising and shows a lot of instability, the fact that it was brought by the chair. The leadership of that committee brought this thing. The rest of the committee turned on its leadership and blocked the bill from being introduced. You know, notably, Clow and Kirby are Republicans. They only got two other Republicans out of this whole 15-member committee uh, to back them in trying to introduce the bill, and so it failed. Right. Um, so it was a vote against committee leadership, but it was also a vote against House leadership, namely Scott Bedke, the Speaker of the House, who's been working on this issue for three years. You know that he wanted to at least get this bill started in the House and at least, you know, 
you know, get some sort of a sense of whether there is any kind of sentiment within that committee to to redo the funding formula, an issue that he's studied now for three years. So one thing that really did strike me, um, looking at that vote, you mentioned that only two Republicans uh, joined Clow and Kirby to uh, to support printing the bill. And they were the established lawmakers, the new lawmakers, just all over the place. Right, right. And so seven of the eight Republicans who voted against printing the bill. Seven of them are either in their first term in the legislature or their second term in the legislature. The the only veteran of that group is Judy Boyle yep. from, from Midvale, who's yep. been in the legislature for, for several years. So I think it underscores that this is a very young committee in terms of legislative experience. A lot of newcomers, a lot of uh, lawmakers really trying to get, get up to speed on education issues in general. And we'll probably talk more about that yeah. as we go here this this week and definitely trying to get up to speed on this funding formula issue so when tuesday rolled around we had um, our annual you know press luncheon with legislative leadership uh bedke was there along with uh matt Orpilding, the house minority leader and the leaders uh, on the senate side uh, republican and democrat a friendly little chat over lunch is how i oh, refer to it yeah re- read my <laughs> read our story from tuesday you can see that there is um there's some dysfunction going on on other topics but when bad we blood. talk yeah bad blood i think dysfunction is is being kind bad blood is is brewing on on some issues talking about the funding formula issue and i i asked um bedke about that vote and what he reads into it and and he said and I think he's trying to be somewhat diplomatic, but I think there's some some truth to what he's saying, some accuracy to what he's saying, is that this is a committee that's really trying to learn about this process, that this is a, this is a learning process. Uh, folks in the Senate have maybe more knowledge of the funding formula. They've been more involved in this three-year process. Several of the uh, Senate Education Committee members have been in that, in that committee that's uh, studied the funding formula rewrite for the past three years. A lot less institutional memory on the House side, so I think he was trying to, to couch it in those terms. There's some truth to all of that. and But where it leaves us now is that this process has really begun and it's really picked up in the Senate side. So we have a new Senate bill. It's slightly different than the one that was introduced on Monday. This one was introduced on Wednesday. And something like maybe the 13th or 14th version of a proposal at this point, basically. When you count the drafts, uh, we've heard the number that we're up to at least a dozen. Yeah. So we have a new draft, not a whole lot different than the first draft, some some modifications. Uh, this bill got a, a, not even really a hearing, but it got some discussion in the Senate Education Committee on Thursday. If you read our story at idahoednews.org, we'll catch you up on the discussion. And really, it was a discussion just about the mechanics of how this bill would work. Very technical discussion. Uh, The committee got through 16 of the 65 pages of the bill and really did not discuss policy. They did not debate policy. Uh, The chairman of the committee, Dean Mortimer, kind of set those ground rules at the beginning. He sort of cut off discussion on policy at one point really wanted the committee to sort of dive into the mechanics of the bill and not the merits of the bill. So that's where we are at this point on Friday as we speak and as we record this podcast on midday on Friday. It's unclear right now what happens next. 
Uh, Mortimer said that they could have a full public hearing on Monday. He has reserved the Lincoln Auditorium, the largest committee room in the State House, for just such a purpose. Nothing posted yet on the state's website, and, and here we are a little bit before noon on Friday when we're, when we're recording this. So do check our website and do check my blog uh, throughout the day and throughout the weekend. As soon as we see anything about a hearing, we'll let you know. A couple things to know about that hearing. It could be fairly compressed. Uh, we're at the point of the legislative session where uh, the Senate may only have a couple hours um, to have a committee hearing. So Mortimer is saying, look, we may have to limit testimony to two, two to three minutes per speaker to allow everybody to, you know, hopefully have their say, but then also to allow the committee to start talking about this before the Senate goes back into session, which they do a lot this time of year. They go uh, have a late afternoon session to run through bills on the floor after the committees do their work. So if there's a hearing on Monday, obviously we'll be there uh, with full coverage. If we get word that there's a hearing on Monday or whenever that word comes down, we will pass that on as quickly as possible so that you all know that a hearing is coming up. And if you're interested in, in watching it on the live stream or participating, uh, you'll know about that. And obviously, we'll have full coverage of that hearing if and when it occurs. Before we move on, just real quick, let's take stock of where we stand and, and what this means. This was a step forward this week in the fact that we've actually had bills introduced uh, that had not happened through the first 65 or whatever days of the legislative session. So we have an actual bill that's introduced. It has a bill number. I want to say it's like Senate Bill 1196. But still, it's, it's a baby step in terms of the overall process that would need to be undertaken to change the Idaho public school funding formula. Uh, it would need to be passed by the Senate Education Committee, pass the full Senate, and then go over to the House, starting in the House Education Committee, somehow pass out of there and pass the House floor. Meanwhile, legislative leaders are still working to adjourn the legislative session. It may not happen quite as quickly as I'd anticipate because of some snags surrounding uh, Medicaid expansion mm -hmm. yes. and an initiative debate. But we are in the late stages of the legislative session, and we're still in the very early stages of this public school funding formula bill. So right, the time, right. is, time is a factor. If they do get the support, though, leadership has the power uh, to push this through on a fast track. But it's not clear that they have the support to move it forward yet. Right, and I think that's exactly kind of where we are at this point. And I think it was telling when uh, we talked about the funding formula on Tuesday with legislative leadership, Bed Key said, I, I maintain that this is not an issue that's going to keep us in session until April. He said that before. He said it again on Tuesday. Yeah. And considering how much time and you know, political capital he's invested in this issue, I think it's telling that, that Bedke is saying this is not the going home bill. This is not the issue that has to be resolved before the legislature adjourns. Medicaid expansion definitely has to be resolved in some manner or form between now and the end of the legislative session. That's the going home issue. So if there is no critical mass surrounding a funding formula bill, uh, it's, just it's, not, it's not going to go forward. But, you know, to again, just to kind of take stock of where we are as opposed to where we were a week ago, there is now a bill mm -hmm. online. It's uh, Senate Bill 1196 is the bill that's in play. You can access it online. You can read all 65 pages. You can also go online to access the spreadsheet, which shows how this bill would affect schools based on the calculations that have been done now, based on all the weights and and you know 
calculations that have been folded into the formula. You can play around with that spreadsheet and see how differences within those uh, calculations would affect your local school district. Uh, I'm sure school officials around the state have been doing this for a while. It just it becomes a little bit more tangible at this point. I, I kind of felt it uh, at the hearing Thursday. Now that you have a bill, and now that you have a bill that's attached to a spreadsheet and a spreadsheet that aligns with the bill, it feels a little bit more tangible. It feels more like, okay, now it's time to kind of sit down and really take a deep dive into how this bill would work and how it would affect schools. And so now it's a more it's public a little bit different process. process. And it's a more public process. The public has access to it for the first time. Discussed in kind of open working group sessions, but not formal committee meetings. So it's been a little bit, it's been not a you know, smoke and mirror, you know, smoke-filled room kind of a process, but it has not been a, it's not been an open committee discussion as we saw on Thursday and as we'll probably see sometime next week, perhaps as early as Monday. All right, the best place to stay up to date is our homepage, www.idahoednews.org. Let's go on, though. We have a lot more to talk about. I want to talk about Tuesday's big election day, school bonds and levies across the state. You tracked these... Uh, Late Tuesday, early morning Wednesday on the results. Some interesting results. Um, let, let's just get into it. Uh, what, how, how much money were we talking about first, and then uh, what happened at the polls? Well, it was really a mixed bag. Yeah. It was a big election day across the state. So you had 48 school districts with either a levy or a bond issue. And in Out one of like case, 150. Voters. Right. So almost half of the school districts across the state had some sort of a ballot measure before voters on Tuesday. $485 million worth of bond issues and, and levies on the ballot. Not all of them passed, and some big bond issues failed in districts such as Cache County, uh, Bear Lake County, uh, Minidoka County, Payette. We'll talk a little bit more about those, uh, those failed bond issues. The biggest bond issue of them all, we don't really even know how that's going to, um, going to play out. The Valley View School District in, in Canyon County had a $65 million bond issue on the ballot. Based on the numbers right now, it passed. Barely. <laughs> We're talking about three votes uh, out of 2,400 plus ballots that were cast. That's the, the margin. Uh, so as it stands right now, Valley View cleared that two-thirds uh, supermajority threshold to get this bond issue through to build a new middle school and renovate an old middle school. There will be a recount. Yeah. The, the county has already you know, put the the mechanism in place to begin that recount. They've taken custody of the ballots. That recount will probably occur early next week. So, you know, when something passes by that narrow margin, we've seen recounts where, you know, a couple votes swing one way or the other. If a couple votes swing one way or the other in this election, that could change the whole outcome uh, of this uh, $65 million proposal. So it's kind of, it's, we talk about this all the time. You hear reporters talk about how every vote counts, and I think people hear that and it's sort of, you know, yeah, 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 that, that sounds good. That's kind of the, the broccoli um, comment about, you know, you know doing, your, doing your civic duty and voting. But in this case, every vote did count in, in Valley View, and they will be counted again. So we'll have the recount probably early next week, and we'll have the latest there. But you can look at what's happened across the state I mentioned some of the districts where bond issues failed. Uh, Cache County is going to regroup probably later this month and figure out what what to do next. Um, 
a couple of these bond issues came pretty close. I think the Oneida School District had one that I think got close to 66%, very close to that two-thirds supermajority. So it'll be interesting to see what their next steps turn out to be. Bear Lake County, and this was one um, they were looking to um, do some building renovations. They were looking to do some repairs on a uh, on a school building that has seismic issues. And, and Bear Lake uh, is an area that has some seismic activity, so this is a real thing. That bond issue received 17% support. So not a lot to go on in terms of trying to build a consensus from there. So it'll be really interesting to see what that count, what that county does to try to what that district does yeah. to try to address uh, what they see as some pretty pressing building needs. You wrote about Kamii as well. Well, yeah, and and, and Kamii was an interesting case. So supplemental levies, again, not to belabor a point, but it's important to remember. Supplemental levies need only a simple majority to pass, and most of those did pass. I've got the full rundown there. The results are pretty much done and dusted, nothing really close enough to be subject to a recount. Kamii is an interesting story because they were one of the three school districts across the state, I think they're all up north, that saw their supplemental levies fail. Kamii passed a supplemental levy last year. It was for the first time in four years that they had a levy on the books. This time, renewal of that same levy failed. I think they got something like 46%. Uh, the Lewiston Tribune had a good follow-up story uh, the, the next day. I summarized it, aggregated it. You can get to the full story on my blog. Interesting things we're talking about. Um, going away from full-day kindergarten to a half-day kindergarten, because that's all the state funds. Yep. If you want to do full-day kindergarten, districts got to come up with the money themselves, and they're saying, can't come up with the money right now. Kamii also talking about closing its middle school, moving those middle school kids into the elementary school or the high school, splitting them up, you know, K through six and then seven through 12. The kicker in all of this is that the middle school, which was built in 1997, yep. as I recall, yep. is the newest school in the district. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that they are most likely to close, according to the, um, the Lewiston Tribune story. So, yeah, these elections, they don't get as much attention because, you know, they, they fall on odd times of the year, like March and April, uh, May and sometimes in August. And, you know, they don't get as much attention. The turnout tends to be very low, but the impacts can be really profound uh, one way or the other on these districts. And you're seeing that in Kamii. You will see what happens in Valley View if that bond issue were to fail. You know, we'll see what, what, what their next steps would be if that happens. But you also have districts... Uh, already having to come to grips with that. And, and like I say, several bond issues across the state uh, fell short of that two-thirds supermajority. And I don't want to try to read too much into those results because they're all local elections. They're, they're all isolated. Now, a lot of things happen, a lot of different reasons. But it is interesting to see as many bond issues failing across the state. And I, I don't know if that's a sign of anything bigger. That's a, a good research project. I'm not sure how to, how to tackle, but very very mixed bag results, but you can catch all of the results at idahoadnews.org. Yeah, thanks for all the work you put uh, into that. It's an exhaustive list. Uh, head to the homepage and follow what happened in your local community, as well as sort of the historical context of uh, what districts had done in the past. Uh, several more topics I want to get to. We won't spend quite as much time on each of them, uh, but the K-12 public school budgets uh, have passed the Idaho legislature and... Uh, Sailed through the Senate. Uh, went through, uh, they now go to the governor's desk. 
So does his proposal to uh, raise the minimum teacher salary to $40,000. And what we saw on Friday, the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, you were there, uh, they put up the money. They now have the the follow-up bill, the spending bill that would put that $40,000 minimum into effect. So the budgets are sailing right along. We we still have to see what happens with that uh, state board budget that was... uh, that was killed on the House floor in something of a protest vote a week ago. We'll, we'll probably see a new bill there. Next week, I think, yeah. But we're seeing a lot of those budget pieces that we've been talking about all session coming into place. The K-12 budgets, which include year five of the career ladder, the $40,000 minimum teacher salary. Um, Discretionary a, a, spending. Right, yeah. a state board budget that includes $7 million uh, of additional dollars in the Opportunity Scholarship. That passed the Senate uh, late Thursday afternoon, goes to the House. So the... Pieces are starting to come together on the budget with not a whole lot of surprises. It's pretty much what we've been talking about. But we do get to this end of the session where some bills, it's hard to tell what exactly is going to happen with them, uh, the sex education bill being one of them. Yeah. Um, when I talked to uh, Senator Mortimer earlier this week, he said that no date has been set for a hearing and no real decision about whether there's going to be a hearing. This is the bill that passed uh, on party lines on the House floor, now goes over to the Senate. We'll see if it gets a hearing in the Senate or if it uh, or if it doesn't get a hearing in the Senate. But at any rate, our, uh, our news reporter, Sammy Edge, did a really nice story looking at the impacts of what the sex ed opt-in bill, what are the potential implications for this to, to become law. Really interesting story, so check that out as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple more things before we go. Normally, I cover the House Education Committee uh, every morning during the legislative session. On Friday, I was in the Joint Budget Committee, and it kind of went long. And so you covered House Education. Thank you for that. Um, but what were your impressions? It takes a team. It takes a team. As someone coming into that who hadn't seen that committee, we've talked a little bit about what they did uh, with the school funding formula bill, killing their chairman's bill early Monday morning. We've talked about how it's one of the largest committees in the legislature with 15 members. It's one of the most conservative committees in the legislature. And they have a lot of new members who, as Scott Bedke uh, gently pointed out, are, are still learning the still ropes. Learning. Um, but what were your impressions of House Ed after watching Senate Ed all uh, year? It, it was... It was a very interesting hearing on Friday, and it does kind of bring us full circle to where we started with House Education on Monday morning. This was a fairly non-controversial bill that kind of derailed House Education uh, Friday morning. This was a bill that came from Superintendent Sherry Ibarra, and it came from Ibarra's Red Tape Committee. If you recall this one from a few months ago, this was a committee of educators, administrators that Ibarra brought together with the goal of hey, let's find some paperwork requirements that we don't need to do anymore, that are redundant, that are repetitive, that are cumbersome. Um, Ibarra came forward with a bill to eliminate some of these red tape requirements. It's not a very far-reaching bill because the committee didn't come up with a whole lot of recommendations. This bill passed the Senate unanimously a couple of weeks ago. It got its hearing in House Education on Friday, and what a wild hearing this turned out to be. The crux of the matter comes down to a couple of lines in the bill. It would eliminate a reporting requirement to do end-of-year reporting on how schools have done in terms of meeting their goals from the previous year. Uh, 
Representative Ryan Kirby, again, the vice chair of this committee, and a, and a retired school superintendent. So he, he knows this stuff, and he's been in the legislature for a while, in addition to all of his time in education, kind of led the opposition to the bill. He really fixated on these two lines in the bill and questioning if we're, why are we eliminating this requirement that schools report how they did on their goals at the end of the year? He said, we're not improving on our test scores. He said, I think he said erroneously that we've spent $400 million on the career ladder. You know, the number we've used and the number that's been used in other circles, including research, puts that price tag at $250 million, not $400 million. Kirby kind of led the opposition to this saying, why are we eliminating this reporting requirement when we're putting all of this money into things like the career ladder? Uh, Ibarra's uh, legislative liaison, Marilyn Whitney, said we're not really eliminating a reporting requirement at all. This is a redundant reporting requirement. Schools will still have to report progress and how they've done at the end of the year as part of these new report cards that are going uh, going live now. So the reporting is still going on. It's just going on in a in a different venue. It's you know the, it's the proverbial it's you know you know it's old wine in a new bottle kind of a deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> We had three motions in House Education on this bill, one to hold it in committee, one to send it to the floor with a recommendation that it passed, and a third motion to send the bill to the amending order to restore those two lines that seem to be the crux of the debate on, on Friday morning. That's the motion that passed. So they didn't vote on any of the other motions. They didn't get to that point. So the bill now goes to the, the floor for amendment. And from here, who knows what happens? Yeah. It could be dead. It's late in the year. A lot of things can happen when a bill gets to the amending order. Um, because any House member can present any amendment that they like. Uh, Representative John McCrosty, Democrat from Garden City, he was the one who was pushing to put this bill on the amending order because he wants to see it get through in some manner. But he said, if we can just get it through, even if we reinsert these two lines, it's better than letting the bill die in committee. So he was the one who wanted this to go to the amending order. But as all legislators know, when a bill goes to the amending order, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Anybody can present an amendment. You can have competing amendments, some with the intent of killing the bill, the proverbial hostile amendment, one of my favorite legislative amendments. pieces of lexicon. We could also see a radiator cap, which is one of my favorite pieces of legislative lexicon. (laughs) Yeah, anything can happen, really. And whatever happens in the House, the Senate would have to buy off on anyway. So now the bill has to not only pass the House, but it has to pass the Senate again in this legislative endgame. And here's the kicker. Afterwards, I, I asked Marilyn Whitney, okay, if you reinsert those two lines into the bill, does that really change what districts are going to have to do in terms of reporting. And she said, yes, you know, they, they will have to go back and do this reporting again. Now they'll basically have to do the same reporting twice. So it, it does, you know, it, I wouldn't say it defeats the whole purpose of the bill, but it does change the impact of the bill if you reinsert those two lines. It was a strange hearing. And, and you know. It's a strange year in House. And, and it's been an odd committee. I mean, we've talked about this offline. You know, I, yeah, I point to Ryan Kirby and I point to the, you know, the comments about the career ladder, and I point him out because he is a more experienced member of this committee and a retired school administrator. Leadership picked him to be the vice and chair. He was had to be the vice chair of this committee. It's, it's been a, 
It's been a strange process. And, and Clark, you've been there a lot more. Um, we've talked about Representative Barbara Ehart, the uh, author of the sex ed bill. She's been a very vocal member of this committee. She didn't say much on Friday. I got to, she, you know, but in the past, in multiple times this week, she's complained, uh, lamented, trying to figure out who does what here. You know, how does the State Department of Education intersect with the State Board of Education? How, how do these stakeholder groups, which are not public entities, how do they fit into this mix? And she's kind of said, you know, can I get a flow chart that explains what all of this does? I mean, I'm not... No, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, so here's my, my two cents on this. Um, the funding formula bill is very confusing. Uh, I think for legislators to be confused and to have a lot of questions about it, we've covered this thing for three years. Every time I hear a presentation about the funding formula bill, I feel like I'm hearing things that I didn't, I, I didn't process the first 30 or 40 times through... There are new things, there are new twists, there are things that, you know, it just takes repetition to, you know, understand. So for legislators to be really wrestling with the funding formula bill, I, I totally understand. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like how do these education groups fit together and this this flow chart. I don't even know if a flow chart exists, but my point is that stuff's all knowable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you are a legislator and you were trying to figure out what the State Department of Education's role is, what the State Board of Education's role is, what do these stakeholder groups do? You're a legislator. You can ask the State Board of Education and the State Department of Education and say, hey, let's come, you know, baby step me through this thing. Help me understand so I can do my job better. Um, so, I mean, you know, to some degree, I'm definitely sympathetic to legislators and the learning curve that they're facing on the funding formula. But, you know, at the same time, the, there's knowable stuff here, and there's a learning curve that legislators can navigate on, on some of this stuff. And, you know, I have a little bit less sympathy when, when legislators are saying, I'm confused, I want, you know, I don't understand how all this fits in. Yeah, it's, it's complicated stuff. We've dealt with it for six years. We've asked a lot of questions to understand how it all relates. I wouldn't profess that I know how it all relates, but I've learned a lot along the way by asking questions. I mean, that's... You know, that's what reporters do. I yeah. think it's what legislators do too, and, yeah. and, and need to do too. Yeah, and it and it is, and, and some of it, there's some low hanging fruit out there that uh, you would think that the duty would be incumbent upon a legislator sitting on the House Education Committee uh, to get up to speed on some of that. Uh, some of that though is distrust in state mm -hmm. government, yeah. distrust in the State Board of Education, distrust in the rulemaking process, which the House Education Committee was livid about and spent nearly two months this legislative session trying to pick rules apart and block rules uh, because of the way the rulemaking process works out. Uh, the Senate Education Committee kind of went ahead and approved a lot of those rules anyways. The, you know, and like with the school funding formula, the House Education Co Committee kind of like voted itself out of the debate, at least for the time being, um, and, and, and kind of gave the inside lane to the Senate Education Committee to look at the Senate Education Bill on the funding formula. Um, but it, it, there's a high learning curve, and a lot of this is really complicated, but some of it isn't. Um, but a, some of it has to do with distrust for state government. And, and frankly, distrust in public schools and distrust in the government's ability to run public schools. We've talked about the Wayne Hoffman column from the Freedom Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, where he, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically made the point that public schools are government-funded socialism, indoctrinating our pupils. That has become mm -hmm. a mainstream view uh, within the Idaho legislature at this point. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think fundamentally 
you know, House Education is a very conservative committee. There are extremely several conservative. extremely conservative uh, Republicans on that committee. That's not a criticism. That's a mere observation. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, oversimplify this because I cover Senate and education on a pretty much daily basis. So that's just kind of the way we've carved this thing up over the years. Senate education, make no mistake, has some some. You know, conservative members. Uh, uh, Stephen Thane, Lori Dan Hartog. Thane and Dan Hartog are probably among the more conservative members of the legislature. I mean, just on Thursday, Dan Hartog was one of only two legislators who voted against that State Board of Education budget, which included the $7 million for the Opportunity Scholarship. I've not spoken to Dan Hartog about her no vote. I do know, it's a matter of public record, that she's been fairly skeptical about the Opportunity Scholarship, especially expanding that Opportunity Scholarship to adult students, the adult completer aspect of the scholarship. She's on record on that. She is definitely one of the more conservative members of this legislature. She has also been one of the more hardworking members of this legislature her on the Thane, funding formula. Her and Thane do their homework and they ask intelligent questions. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. They know the issues. Um, and they both served on that funding formula committee, so to bring it kind of full circle to their Thane was in the, on the committee at the beginning. Dan Hartog replaced him along the way. And, you know, Dan Hartog has been one of the ones who's really been working on the details of this legislation. She and, uh, and Senator Mortimer have, are the co-sponsors of the Senate version of the funding formula bill. So it, it is a little bit of a different world, and I think part of it is experience, and part of it maybe is some institutional uh, knowledge. It's not as much ideology necessarily uh, on, a lot of these, uh, on a lot of these issues. But... Uh, yeah, you know, the bicameral nature of the legislature, I, I think, sometimes really gets overlooked. But I think it's it, fascinating the, the to watch the very interplay. Different, and it's, yeah. it's very different. You know, the, the dynamic in the House and the dynamic in the Senate is very different. And it has been for a long time. I mean, I've watched this thing for a long time. You've been there for, for years as well. It is kind of a different mood, a different uh, mindset between those two houses. And... Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of hard to articulate, and it's something you almost have to experience, whether you're reporting or you know, you know lobbying or observing. It, it's a very it's a different vibe, and it has definitely been a an undercurrent this legislative session. It's, it's fascinating to watch the interplay between those two committees, and because the Senate Education Committee has the institutional knowledge, they understand the legislative process. I'm going to oversimplify things. For the past couple of years, Senate Ed has been dunking all over House Ed. Uh, whether you look at the science standards or the rulemaking process this year or the funding formula, um, it, but it's been fascinating to watch that process. And, and you know, maybe it's you know, maybe given that it shouldn't be a surprise that right now it's Senate Education's uh, job to try to see if they can get a funding formula bill out of committee and through and through the Senate. But again, still have to go through House Education if it ever does uh, get through the Senate. Uh, it's a fascinating process, and it's not done yet. And that's a great place to leave off because that's literally where we are at with the legislative session. A few weeks ago, I would have predicted next week will be the final week of the legislative session. Not so. Nope. I think we're going to nope. be here two more weeks at least. And I think the thing that's really extending uh, the session is the debate over the Medicaid expansion, the Prop 2, the ballot initiatives. Uh, listening to Speaker Bedkey. Uh, at that contentious lunch meeting on Tuesday with the press corps, they're gridlocked. Uh, mm -hmm. Did not have a path forward as of midweek. Uh, based on the fact that they continue to meet in caucus and hold these contentious hearings in Senate State Affairs, it appears to still be gridlocked. And so that's where we're at. 
very much to be continued. But while those debates rage on about Medicaid expansion, Prop 2, the ballot initiative, that gives cover to keep negotiating the funding formula. Yeah, uh, as long as they're in town, yeah. the, the issue may be more in play than it would be otherwise. Because, yes, this may not be the issue that keeps legislators home. Uh, it keeps legislators in session until April. But if other issues keep the legislature in session until April, you will still have some legislators perhaps uh, working the funding formula issue. So as far as our coverage goes, we will cover the funding formula uh, top to bottom. We will be there for every step in the process. Not so much with the Medicaid expansion, yeah. not so much with the ballot initiatives. So shout out to some of our, our colleagues who do exemplary work covering that stuff. Betsy Russell at the Idaho Press, our friends at Idaho Public Television, at Idaho Reports, the Idaho Statesman. Bill uh, Spence at the Lewiston uh, Tribune. Bill Spence at the Lewiston Tribune, uh, Nathan Brown at the Post-Register. Watch those guys, follow those guys. They will uh, be on top of the Medicaid expansion issue and the initiative um, overhaul. And keep an eye on us for education topics. All right, what a week. Let's come back and do it all over again next week. But uh, that's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. We appreciate you joining us, following the homepage at idahoednews.org and giving us a follow on Twitter at idahoednews. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with another new episode of Extra Credit. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.